We are uh, coming today to uh, the finish line of our summer sermon series, which we've called Shadows of the Cross uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, we're bringing that to a conclusion today by looking at uh, the book of Zechariah, uh, the next to the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, So far, we've looked at five different Old Testament passages that point to the cross of Christ. And I I think probably all five of those passages uh, have been familiar to most of you. This one today may not be familiar to all of you. It may be completely unfamiliar to some of you. But it's an absolutely wonderful Old Testament picture uh, of the cleansing, renewing, transforming power of Jesus Christ by virtue of His cross uh, for sinners. And so, as we, as we look at this text in just a moment, uh, let me briefly put it in context. Zechariah was a prophet of God. He was one of three prophets who lived and uh, exercised his ministry in a very tumultuous, on the one hand wonderful, but also very tumultuous period uh, of Israel's history. Uh, for many, many years, despite repeated warnings, from the earlier prophets, Israel had not uh, gotten the message. They had not heeded God's Word. Uh, In fact, they had horribly rebelled against God. They had murdered many of the prophets. They had rejected their repeated warnings and invitations from the Lord to turn back to Him and receive His blessing. They had rejected that message. They had, in fact, uh, turned to false gods to other pagan religions of their own day and had begun to worship those gods. And after many years, after many generations, after many warnings, God had, just as He had promised, allowed them to be carried off into captivity by the Babylonians where they remained for a period of seven years. Well, now during Zechariah's time, they've been brought back into the land. Why? Because God wasn't done with them. God had not abandoned them. They had been unfaithful to God, but God had not been unfaithful to them and would not be unfaithful to them. So, He loved them. And in fact, their rebellion, all of their rebellion, and this is true today, all of their rebellion had not weakened His love for His people. And it's in that situation that uh, Zechariah is, is sent. Now, that means this, very simply, This book and this passage that we're going to read and consider today, this is a book for people who have failed God. This is a book, this is a text for people who've blown it. I'll go out on a limb and say perhaps some of us in this room have failed God. Perhaps without exception, all of us in this room have failed God, have blown it have made a mess of our lives in various ways. Maybe it's a way that we would call great. Maybe it's a way that we would call small. But there's not one of us here who has been anything that could be called faithful to God. And yet God is faithful. And He makes that plain uh, in this passage that we're going to look at this morning. This is a book, this is a text for people who wonder if there's hope for them. All right, so let's read God's Word. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Zechariah speaking says, Then he, the Lord, showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. 
and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I, that is Zechariah, I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Let's pray briefly before we consider uh, this passage of God's Word. God, thank you that you have spoken and that your Word has been reliably preserved for us in the Scriptures, in both the Old and the New Testament, so that we can open it up and read it and hear what your Word is and understand it and in all of it be directed to Christ. And Lord, I pray that Uh, Everyone who's here this morning would hear what you have to say. Help us to think about this text. Help us to understand what it says. And then give us, by your Holy Spirit, the ability to respond as we should in faith and in repentance and in love for Christ the Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. This passage is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ, the great high priest. But it's also about us. It's also about people like us who need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's what the cross of Christ is about, God cleansing sinners through the work of His Son by the virtue of His death and resurrection. So I want us to consider that cleansing as it's presented in this text this morning and to try to draw to your attention three things that this text shows us about the cleansing work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And here are the three things I want to tell you ahead of time. I want to look at the, the necessity of this cleansing and see that it is a necessary cleansing. Secondly, that it is a complete cleansing. And then finally, that it is a gracious cleansing. First, it's a necessary cleansing. You and I, every one of you in this room, Every one of us here, everyone in the history of humanity needs to be cleansed by God. You and I need to be cleansed by God. Some of you are very aware of that. You feel, you feel the weight of your own sin. You, you feel your need for cleansing. You know that you need that. Many of you, as you've felt that over the years, have come to Jesus by faith, and you've been cleansed. You've, you've known, you've come to know His cleansing, redeeming grace in your own life. And you'll see again this morning just how perfectly He cleanses His people. Some of you also know that you need to be cleansed, but you've, you've stayed back. You haven't come to Jesus perhaps because you've wondered if He would take you. Other people have not taken you. Your own conscience has disturbed you. 
You have a sense of your uncleanness, and so you wonder if Jesus Himself will really welcome you, will really, truly love you and receive you, and not ever change His mind about that. But I'm going to assure you this morning that Jesus Christ will never turn you away if you come to Him and ask Him to make you clean. And perhaps some of you this morning are in a very different boat. Your consciences have become very insensitive. And if you're honest, you don't think very often about sin, about the fact that you might be unclean in the sight of God. But whether you feel that or not, you need to be cleansed by God. You need to have your guilt and your sin removed, taken away. You can't do it yourself. Only God can do it. Now, this, this need for cleansing is the problem in this text. If you look at it again, what you see is that Joshua, uh, the high priest of Israel, is standing in the presence of God to represent the people and to make sacrifices to atone for their sins. He would have gone through elaborate cleansing rituals. He would have put on exactly the right priestly clothes that God requires uh, of His Old Testament priests. Now, none of that made him clean. That was just external, but it was to demonstrate the necessity of cleansing, and it was to remind them that God was, in fact, willing and able to cleanse His people, and that one day He would do that. But here, in this situation, here's the priest, the person who's supposed to be clean and undefiled so that he can make, so he can intercede for the sinful people of Israel in the very holy presence of God. And yet God gives Zechariah this sort of spiritual x-ray vision in this uh, vision that he has. And what does he see? That of all people, here's Joshua, the high priest, we read, standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. This word that's translated filthy is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's not a delicate word. It's a word that's used to talk about the worst kind of human filth. Joshua's covered with it. He's covered with it. And there's no denying it. There's, it's not a spot. He's covered with it. And as the representative of God's people, it wasn't just that Joshua was dirty. You see, if the one who represents you is dirty, you're dirty too. And that was Israel's situation. It's a picture, in fact, of not only their condition, but yours and mine. In and of ourselves, what God is showing to His people, in and of ourselves, we are filthy Let's not pick a nicer word, a more delicate word. Because as we'll see in a few minutes, if we do that, we actually rob the gospel of its amazing power and glory. In and of ourselves, we are filthy. And there is no shortage of evidence for anyone who wants to make a case for that. If you, if you want to make a case for my sinfulness, there is no shortage of evidence, I can guarantee you. And the same is true for you. Imagine yourself standing in the presence of the God who sees everything and all the stuff you've hidden from everyone your whole life, the stuff you've tried to hide from yourself if that's possible, and the things that you haven't even seen because you can't know yourself exhaustively. All of that stuff. God sees it all. He has an omniscient eye. He sees and knows everything. 
So imagine yourself standing in His presence. One little speck, one smudge on your life would disqualify you from standing in the presence of a holy God. But my friends, the problem with you and with me is not a smudge here or there. The problem is that we, like Joshua, in and of ourselves are covered in filth. This cleansing is a necessary cleansing. Do you see that? Do you know the truth about yourself left to yourself? If you're to stand on your own in God's presence, do you see your need for cleansing? It won't do any good to deny it or ignore it or minimize it or try to explain it. We need God to cleanse us. We need God to remove our filth and to replace it with what is pure and pleasing in His sight. And that is exactly what He does. That is exactly what He does. And you see it here in verses 4 and 5, a complete cleansing. It wouldn't be good news at all just to say, you need God to cleanse you, and then go sit down. But it's very good news to say, you need God to cleanse you, and He provides a complete cleansing. Look at, again at verses 4 and 5. That's what we see. That, that the good news of the gospel is that God comes and He both removes sin and gives purity, gives righteousness. Let's look at that together. This complete cleansing, in other words, that God gives is made of two parts. It has two facets. The first is the removal of sin. The cleansing that Jesus brings means forgiveness. Here's Joshua clothed in his filth, the angel of the Lord, who, by the way, we see in the Old Testament is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ before His incarnation. He appears here in this vision to Zechariah, and what does he say? Behold, look, I've taken away your iniquity. I've taken away your filth. In Christ, God takes Joshua's sin away. He, he, he gives him this picture, this vivid picture of a filthy garment, and he removes it from him, takes it off of him. He does what Joshua couldn't do for himself. Here's filthy Joshua, and God says, I've made you clean. I've taken it away. That's what the gospel says, by faith in Christ. You see, God does it. Joshua doesn't cooperate. Joshua doesn't do it and say, Lord, I've almost got it off. Can you help me a little bit? God takes it away. By faith in Christ, your sins can be forgiven so that God will never hold them against you again because it's removed. So let me ask you, do you know that's true for you? Don't let that be something out there, some truth up in the air somewhere. Do you know that's true for you? Can you say, because this is how certain and how personal the gospel of Jesus Christ is, that you can say yourself today, I know that Jesus Christ has taken my iniquity away from me. And I know that God will never hold it against me. Yes, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that He has taken it from me. I know that He has cleansed me. Do you know that? Do you know that? Can you say that? This cleansing is available, but it's only available in Jesus. And so if I don't go to Him, if I resist Him, if I won't believe in Him, there's no other way for me to be clean, which means my eternal judgment. Oh, but there's cleansing in Him. There's the removal of sin. 
in Jesus Christ. He'll take your sin away from you. You'll never be covered in it again. If God makes you clean, you're clean. If God makes you clean, you'll be clean forever. So the first thing, this is a complete cleansing because it's the removal of sin, but that's not it. The gospel doesn't just say not guilty. Not guilty is not enough. If you're going to stand in the presence of a righteous God, then you have to have a righteousness that meets His standards. And it doesn't matter who you are, you can't produce that. You cannot produce a righteousness that God can, can examine and scrutinize and find no flaw in it. You can't do that. But in the gospel, He provides that for you. God's grace provides what His justice demands. He not only removes iniquity, He gives the gift of righteousness. Look at it in verse 4. Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and what? I will clothe you with pure vestments. God takes away Joshua's filth, clothes him with the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't just say, not guilty. He says, righteous. That's what happens when someone trusts in the Lord Jesus. God imputes to that person the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not a word we use all the time, impute. But it's an important word in the Christian faith. It's an accounting word. It means something is credited to your account. So do you see how complete this cleansing is? God, as you come to Jesus, removes your sin, strips those filthy garments away from you, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how defiled you are, God sovereignly, graciously, effectively, powerfully, completely removes your sin, removes your guilt And then he replaces that filth with perfection. He clothes you with pure garments, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so that, in fact, if you by faith are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, it is as if you had never sinned or even been a sinner. In fact, it's more than that. It's as if you yourself had lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. That is how your status is altered by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, on the the basis of the work of Christ alone. So what if you know that you need this cleansing? You know it's necessary. And you see how complete it is. And yet maybe you still wonder, could I actually have that? That's what the Israelites were wondering in Zechariah's day, They'd heard all God's promises. They'd heard all the good news, and yet they'd just been in exile because they, they had really messed up. So you understand, they're at, yeah, they're back in the land, yes, but they're, they're asking, they're wondering to themselves, can all those things actually be true for me after what I've done? So what if you're asking that question yourself? This passage makes it crystal clear that this complete cleansing is also a completely gracious cleansing. And that means it's available to everyone who comes to God through Jesus. So it's necessary, it's complete, but it's gracious. Go back to the beginning of this passage, back up to verse 1. And notice who's standing. Notice who's standing next to Joshua in the presence of the Lord. Satan. 
Satan, his name means the accuser, the adversary, and that's exactly what he's there to do, to accuse, we read, to accuse Joshua, to point out his sin, to say about him and to him, what are you doing here? Have you heard that before? Do you know what those accusations are like? What are you doing here? I mean, some people probably belong in God's family, but you? You know, nobody belongs in God's family. God is gracious. And Jesus has come not for those who other people would look at and say, yeah, that's a likely candidate. Jesus, because there are none. Jesus has come for sinners. He's come for the filthy, to make them clean, to give them his own righteous clothes, to stand them up in God's presence. But here's Satan. Look at that filthy Joshua. Look at that filthy you fill in the blank. That's always the way he works. He's the accuser. And there's something else you need to notice in this passage. What prominent character in this passage says nothing? Joshua. Here's Joshua. Satan. Satan's got stuff to say. Here's the Lord. He's got things to say. But here's filthy Joshua, and he's got nothing to say. He's silent because there's nothing he can say. What are you going to say? You're covered in filth. Of course I'm filthy. Of course, of course I don't belong. There's nothing that he can say in his own defense. That's your condition too. But that's not all that's here. Because there is someone who speaks up in his defense. See, the Lord speaks up. The Lord himself speaks up. Did you notice what he said? Here's Joshua, filthy. Here's Satan. Look at him. He's filthy. And God says, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand, a burning stick plucked from the fire? God rebukes Satan on two grounds. Yes, my covenant people are defiled by their sin, but you cannot condemn them, you cannot accuse them, because I chose them, and I have saved them. God rebukes Satan, and he defends his people on the basis of his sovereign, electing, redeeming grace. And from that point on, who is silent? Satan. From that point on in the text, Satan has nothing to say. He has no case against Joshua because God has taken Joshua's sin away and has given him new clothes, a new status, a new record. See, if, you're, if your position, if your position with God depended on your faithfulness, oh man, you've been lost a long time ago. But if your hope and safety rest on the unchanging promise of a gracious, faithful, redeeming God, 
That's another story. And that's the truth. That the hope and safety that the gospel promises in Jesus is the hope and safety that rests outside of you. The kind of hope and safety you don't have to worry about. Because you do like this. But that hope and safety is anchored in Jesus, who is at the right hand of God. And here's the assurance that the gospel brings. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, God will turn away from you the moment he is ready to eject his son from heaven. You understand that? When God is prepared to cast his son out of heaven, that is when he will be prepared to turn away from his chosen, beloved people. That is hope. That is rest. That is peace. To know that this necessary cleansing is complete and completely gracious and accomplished by God apart from me so that I can anchor into that hope, into that person who is my living hope. Here's the message. God's choosing is greater than Satan's accusing. God's cleansing grace is greater than your sin, as great as it may be. It's no match for His grace. So if you belong to Jesus, there's no accusation against you that can stick. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says it again at the end of the chapter. Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? He's the one who already declared you righteous. Jesus Christ, who died for you, is now raised from the dead and intercedes for you. Who's going to condemn? There's no higher court, in other words. And if God the judge has says, my justice has been satisfied, you in Christ are righteous, uh, there is no one else to condemn. That's what God is showing to Zechariah. You see, one of the, one of the keys of the Christian life is learning this truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Iniquity removed, righteousness granted. But it's another thing to learn to use that truth. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to know how to use it when the heat is on. And the heat will be on. Satan comes and he accuses. And so we've got to learn how to use this truth of the complete cleansing that's gracious from God in Jesus Christ. Here's a great story from the life of Martin Luther uh, there are a lot of great stories from the life of Martin Luther. Somewhere in 1521 or 22, he was in this castle. And this is a very difficult period in his life, and he was feeling these accusations of the devil very severely, very constantly. And he apparently had this dream in which Satan appears to him in his little tiny study in this castle in Germany and Satan in his dream appears to him with this long scroll. Just imagine if all of your sins were going to be written on a scroll, how long would that scroll have to be? Well, Satan comes and he unrolls this scroll in Luther's dream and he starts to read off of it all of Luther's sins and to accuse him 
and to say, you know, all these things you're trying to do for God, all this reformation and this translating the Bible and all these preaching of the gospel, this is a joke. Listen to your sins. All of your attempts to serve God are useless. And Luther was hearing these, he was feeling the weight of his sin on his own conscience until he awoke from his dream. And you know what he said? He didn't say, no, no, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. He didn't say, oh, but you don't understand the kind of pressure I've been under. He said, you know what, you're absolutely right. And I could add things to this scroll that you don't know about. And God could add things to this scroll that neither of us know about. But Satan, add this to the bottom of your list. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all of our sins. You see, that's, that's how you learn to use this truth. It's the same thing that we sing when we, when we sing before the throne of God above. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That is how you use this truth. You see, God's covenant people in Zechariah's day needed that confidence. They needed to know that they were, they needed to know. I, I don't mean, I think so. I mean, they needed to know that they were being represented by a priest. And not just anybody, not just any old guy. They needed to know that they were being represented by a priest who would be acceptable to God. You understand? No priest, no hope. You have no access to God, no sacrifice for sins, no assurance of His love, no promise of forgiveness, no priest, no hope. God's message through Zechariah, right to the point, communicated in this vision, is to tell His people, I will see to it that my people have the perfect priest to atone for them and to represent them, not in some little earthly temple, in some little place in the world, but in my heavenly presence. I will see to it. See, that's your need too. No priest, no hope. You and I need a priest. And I can say this to you with absolute certainty this morning, that at this very moment, at the right hand of God, there sits a perfect priest. He is righteous. He is blameless. His glory is radiantly filling heaven. And he's there to intercede for sinners. And God is pleased with him. And he sits there, he doesn't stand. Because the priest stands when he's working. He sits there because he's done. The work is finished. He said it himself. It is finished. He has done it. Is it true that you're a big sinner? Yeah, it's true. It's true. And you've got to understand that. You've got to 
recognize that or where the gospel is not good news to you. And Satan will find you. He will accuse you just like he did Joshua. He'll find you when you're weak, when you're alone, when you're discouraged because of some failure, when you're proud and puffed up because of some success. He'll stick his finger in your face and he'll, he'll tell you what a terrible sinner you are. But if you're hearing this, you're, you're going to be able to learn to say, I, look, I know. I see the finger. I hear the accusations. It's all true. But add this to your list. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. What God is saying to us today is that Jesus is a bigger Savior than you are a sinner. That Jesus, the second Adam, is the serpent trampling, Satan silencing, sin cleansing Savior. That He's all you need. That He's willing and able to save you. You need to be made clean. He is able to do it, and He's able to do it completely, and He does it graciously. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how you failed him. See, this is what God's saying through Zechariah. He's telling his people, after all they've been through, just, just come to me. Just come to me. I will not fail you. I will cleanse you. I will wash you. I will clothe you. I will save you. And if the triune God will do that, you can count on it forever. You can count on it forever. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have provided a greater priest than Joshua. Jesus, Your Son, whose blood and righteousness cover us and cleanse us and make us perfectly acceptable in Your sight. Lord, please convince every person in this room that the cleansing, justifying work of Christ is necessary and complete and gracious. Remind us that it is finished, that Jesus has paid it all. Teach us that Jesus is a bigger Savior than we are sinners, and teach us to use that truth when the accuser comes to us. God, we thank you for our wonderful Redeemer. Remind us again today that He is all we need, that He truly is willing and able to save us and to cleanse us. Lord, You are worthy, the Lamb of God who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Work in us, we pray, so that this kind of praise and joy in confidence would gush out of our lives back to you and then, and then toward other people that they would know and, and see him. We ask this, Father, would you take this word, would you take this great, wonderful news and work it down deep into us? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If the elders who <clears throat> are helping with uh, the Lord's Supper would, would come forward.